forgive me. Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Eva Alexiou Leo, many of us know as Eva Feta. Think about it. You're 18, living in Pennsylvania, and some of the first bands you start booking are Hot Water Music, Elliot, and Jimmy Eat World. How's that for a start? Her company, Feta Booking Company, turned 25 in 2021 and still going strong today. Eva came up around a similar time and saw the emo boom firsthand, booking and managing bands. Eva is someone I've wanted on for a really long time, and I'm so happy we had the chance to talk. You may even start your own business after this one. She is that inspiring. So learn more about her and the work at fedabooking.com. Also want to shout out the Patreon supporters. You've been through a lot this year. I've had some sporadic time to devote to this podcast with some new life job changes. So thank you for being there in the Discord and sending kind notes. If you want to support this DIY endeavor, head on over to patreon.com slash washed up emo. This is episode 206 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Eva Alexia Rio from Fatal Bookings. Time no talk. It's been a minute. It has. I think like a lot of minutes. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think we were probably in our 20s. Well, I'm excited to chat. I've got a bunch of questions, yeah. and I think having your voice, um, especially with the era that you started, and then also, you know, um, your place in the scene and this world and some of the bullshit, but some of the awesome stuff. So I think it's, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, Chris connected us. Was it, you were going to all these shows and realizing that, you know, I could help or I could be a part of this. What was sort of that aha moment of, I'm just going to do this and, and, and start working with all these bands. Cause that's also an interesting time that I talk a lot about on the podcast. Cause it's like this under documented boom and it gets overshadowed by the later boom, but this time was like a very special, I think, moment in time. Yeah, so 96 in general was a really fun time, I feel like, musically. Um, but then interestingly enough, you know, Feta, like how I started wasn't because of 96. Like in, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, um, where my, my parents threw a penny on a map, um, they... They did a lot of shows, and a lot of really good shows. Um, I don't know why Wilkes-Barre was such a hot place to stop, but, like, we had bands like Sensefield coming through, and we had bands like Farside. I mean, I was a huge Farside fan. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, the Earth Crisis and the um, the Lifetimes, um, Ashes. I loved Ashes. Mm-hmm. They're, like, one of my favorite post-hardcore bands. Um, and because of all of that, we all went to shows and then we had to do shows like the kids had to do the shows themselves at times. So I started helping booking shows in Wilkesbury. So I would go and I would sought out different venues. Sometimes, you know, I'd have bands playing strip clubs. Other times they'd be playing, you know, fire halls. You know what I mean? And, um, I started getting to know a lot of different bands because of that. And a lot of different people. I mean, that's how I met Dirk from Doghouse, And that's how I met the, fearless people and the labels would call me not agents but the like the venues or the uh, record labels would call me and they would just want to set up a show so at the time bands like hot water music didn't have agents in fact bands like jimmy world and sunsfield they didn't have booking agents so they would call you directly and i met hot water and i became friends with jason black um at the time it was my first year in college I was working at the radio station, and I was speaking to him about coming in, and then all of a sudden, somehow the conversation turned into, um, can you help with, you know, some of these dates, and they're around the area, and I ended up doing half the tour, and then that's how Feta was kind of born. 
I did their tour, Hot Waters. And then after doing their tour and many other tours, Hot Water started growing quite fast. Um, and they were planning a tour with the band Elliot. So I started working for, the, for Elliot. And uh, I worked with them on their first album, uh, which came out on Revelation. And then I met Jimmy at World. So my first three bands was Hot Water, Elliot and Jimmy World. Not bad. And yeah, so, but then of course I was 18. Wow. And <laughs> I was basically getting thrown into um, a job title that I, I had never experienced before. Um, no schooling at the time offered any kind of classes like they do currently. And I had to just fall my face a bunch of times. So at the time, working at the radio station at my school, which, um, I was there quite often, even when I wasn't, you know, on air, Kevin Lyman called because he was a manager for, I mean, he had Warp Tour, but he was the manager for um, the Ataris at the time. And he started talking to me. He still does. He, he's, he'll, he's still such a huge mentor to me, him and Tim Bohr. I, I wanted people to take me seriously, but I didn't know I was at that point. If that makes any sense. Like I totally. didn't realize I was there where I, I wasn't just hanging out with a bunch of friends in the parking lot, you know, while they skateboarded. You know what I mean? Like I was at the point where I was negotiating money and I had to be brave enough to ask for that money. And that money grew and grew and grew for the artist. And I had to continue to be brave enough to spit that number out. And then I had to learn how to negotiate different expenses. It was all a very intense fall on your face and get back up process. And in addition to that, there weren't that many females um, as agents, but in the business in general. Um, so there were, there, that also created different barriers that I had to always challenge and break down. But I had some really rad role models. Like I looked up to Stormy Shepard and Margie mm-hmm. from Do It like – like they were gold, you know, and um, I I aspired to be a very strong um, woman in the industry like them, but also I really wanted to help other people in the industry and never uh, shut people out because I felt that, that, and I still feel this way, the music industry doesn't help people that much. Um, I think it's a lot of like fend for yourself um, attitude, um, and then when people get successful, sometimes that even goes even further. Um, and uh, I've always tried to. I think there's enough to go around. So you know, I I wanted to be um, a credible, uh, well um, spoken, uh, you know, smart, professional music industry woman while extending help to people. So a lot of the people I've helped, like I remember, um, you know, the the singer of Sugar Colt, who is a very big producer now, would call me and ask me questions about um, things in the business on the touring side or, you know, like we would talk about a song of his on the radio, and I never worked for them. It, and it made me feel good that people would call me. Like, you know, Chris Caraba and I have been friends, obviously, for uh, 20 years in the business. And I've never worked for any of his um, musical projects. So I really feel good that if someone wanted to ask me a question or I wanted to ask them a question, that we could. You know, that's something I always wanted to extend even to um, – the younger industry people, and I always extend that. That's one of the reasons why I taught at Drexel part-time for eight years. I, I wanted to help um, help people cut through the falling on the face a little bit. <laughs> right. It's funny the when you talked about earlier about like, oh, wow, there's actually classes for this now. I mean, my college, my industry was, like, they were like, how would you get in the music in- industry? I was like, I hung out at the radio station for four straight years. Yeah, and totally. yeah, I went to classes. Yes, I passed them, but I literally just hung out at the radio station. And there's a, I think, you know, there's some t- there's currency in the music business for, you know, going to see those shows early on or, or, or being a part of that scene, um, you know, was, I think, part of 
part of that learning. And I think when I heard about some of these schools doing music industry stuff and they were talking about, uh, I mean, the classes look sounded like, uh, you know, it was like studio stuff. And I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. I don't need to, what do you mean studio? You gotta, yeah. you, you know, and I was, and so when I heard, I think who else, who, who else taught at Drexel? Um, uh, or, Terry Tompkins. I was trying, no, um, Darren. Then there's, right now the director uh, there, uh, he was in Passion Pit, the current director. Oh, cool. Um, so it's like people then, that are in it. You know, and I think yeah. mm-hmm. that's where this like a person can ask you a question and it's not from, oh, I read this in a book or watched a documentary. No, I was doing this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, that's like Kevin Lyman now is a professor at um, UCLA. I think I think it's UCLA, but he's definitely a professor. I'm almost 100 percent. Let's say 90 percent. Sure. Okay. It's UCLA. But so is um Mike uh, Kaminsky, who is uh, a manager that managed like 303. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to have those as your professors because if you, it, first, when I was in college, they didn't have those classes. Right. I mean, we didn't have any I was any like, what do you mean go classes? to school for music industry? I just got to go to shows. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to class. I just need to like get my degree and be done. And, and you know, I went to school. I was living in New Brunswick uh, at Rutgers, my bartender. Um, I, I mean, I, I lived around the corner from the, the Melody Bar, which is, a, you know, a huge stomping ground for huge. so many bands. Huge. Um, bands were sleeping on my floor, you know, at the drive-in was sleeping on my floor, Hot Water, um, Elliot, the Thursday guys were, were just forming and they lived down the street and my bartender was Ari from Lifetime and Kid Dynamite was just getting together. And all I could focus on is I'll go to class. I'll do my work in class because <laughs> right. we have shows later. You know, it's not like it was. It was definitely second, but with the idea that okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish college, get out of it, and um, make my parents happy. Um, but uh, it was hard. Yeah, it was hard because I mean, booking is like a full time job. So I was learning how to be a really, um, you know, informed booking agent which then turned into a good booking agent um, while trying to finish college. <laughs> it's just, and, and then I was working for Jimmy World on Clarity. So I had to fly back and forth to LA at a young age while I was in college. It just was, it, it was that time period, such a blur, a fun blur, but a blur. Right. But that's when, you know, you don't think about like at by three o'clock, you know, you're not yawning. Like you're still, you don't oh, even right. think like that. You're just like, no. Oh yeah, of course I'll fly and I'll come back at 4am and then go to class at eight and then take the test and then go home. Like it, that is all normal. Yeah. And we didn't even go out till 11pm back then. Right. Like if you were going to a show, you're still going out. I mean, even in our twenties, we'd go to shows. I mean, I remember leaving New York and going to Philadelphia and in Philadelphia, knowing every after bar, <laughs> when the bar closed, so the right. bar closed, and we would go to an after bar. I mean, it's just that's <laughs> well, to continue the abuse of our bodies and our apparently never and never sleep, and then wake up and you know start booking tours. <laughs> With the bands that were happening then, and I think I mean I started school in '96. We're pr- pretty close in age. Yep. There was that special moment of the internet was happening. It was an mm-hmm. email. It might have been yeah. a really shitty website, but it wasn't advanced. It wasn't as advanced, and I think it was a fun time where you needed to put the work in. Like this, you didn't do this, you know. And I love the internet. That's how we're staying in touch. That's how we all yeah. are. But yeah. there was that. I loved the, you know, the the time with Jimmy World, and like a, like a night with a band in the same place turns into lifetime of friendship and that moment before we all sort of fell into it, I think is an interesting moment in time for, I sometimes call it the last scene because you had to, you had to drive through Wilkes-Barre to be like, Oh shit, there's a hardcore scene here. Or, or, or I was in school in North Carolina, like all these bands would come through and then influence the bands that opened. They'd be like, Oh my God, Elliot came through and then everyone's doing drop D. You know, or yes. whatever it was. Yes, and and honestly, it was it was there's a high uh, inspiration rate, and bands had the capability of getting big. 
Um, they had the capability of, in the scene, growing. And it was a lot of word of mouth, and it was a lot of, you need to know that band. And, and, and even though I do find that the scene could be quite heartless at times, because, you know, you can't like, you can't like certain bands if you like certain bands in our era. In our era. Right. At that time, like, you weren't supposed to be like, oh, yeah, well, I like The Grateful Dead. I mean, I like Minor Threat. I mean, I don't like The Grateful Dead. Right. You know, like, you yeah. weren't allowed to like certain <laughs> things. You had to know them. There were always staples. You had to know who Gorilla Biscuits was. You had to know who my, you know, Minor Threat. You know, for, for me, who loves female-fronted bands, you, know, you have to know who Kathleen Hanna is, and you have to know Bikini Kill. Right. You need to know Team Dresch. You have to know these bands, right? It's just, but... It was a scene, and everything was like a word of mouth. And, I mean, I remember in college, you know, um, just having, like, all these, like, demos, uh, burned demos, like CD demos, but they're burned, and they were, like, of Jimmy World and Elliot songs and Hot Water songs and The Leftovers. You remember that really great band from Ohio? Yeah. Leftovers. They're so good. That band, that first record they put out was amazing. I remember when the Wilkesbury Fest did their first fest, that's when I saw the Get Up Kids for the first time. And at the time, I didn't live in Wilkesbury, but I came back for that festival because I knew the grade people. And I, and I worked for Hot Water. Hot Water was playing. Grade yes. was playing. They had that really crazy German metal band, Acme, which for some odd reason I love. <laughs> Um, cause I have, I have a secret passion for some weird metal. Um, and, and I saw the get up kids and I fell in love with them. I was just like, who is this cute? Like, 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 you know, rock, like at the time they looked rockabilly to me, like kind of nerdy rockability band. And I just, I remember walking out of there with vinyl and, um, all this, you know, these bands I never heard of. And, and that was the scene that we came from. It was a very um, interactive uh, amount between the bands, bands becoming friends with bands. And um, it was very small. And the ability to learn a new band that you haven't heard before was super possible, but not because of the internet, but because your friend made you a mixtape of them or you know, passed you, a, you know, a burned file or just said, or, or, you know, I mean, it's a little bit earlier, but zines. Right. Um, you know, what I was just looking so, through is, remember the Very catalog? Yes. And I was reading um, some of the reviews and it's like, I can't believe that I was reading this and then deciding to buy something from three sentences. Yeah, I used to, you know, John, I used to learn so many bands from John from Very. I mean, he just had... I mean, he was one of the first distro mm-hmm. companies, but I mean, aside from that, I mean, he, he was just, he had his finger on the pulse too. Like I remember going to Ithaca with him once to an earth crisis show, um, which I was in an earth crisis fan, but turmoil played and I yes. was a turmoil fan. I love turmoil. I actually, I ran to turmoil today. Turmoil was the band I ran to. I ran a few miles listening to Turmoil today. We so. need to have everyone that's listening to the podcast right now just stop. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. I'll hang out for a minute. Go listen to Turmoil and then come totally. Back. <laughs> so good, so good, so ahead of their time when it comes to that kind of like man. I just think they're so good. They're so good, <laughs> and I love it. And I love the band members. Like I mean, they they're from Jim Thorpe. They're you know only an hour. Uh, from Philly and Wilkesbury, so I know those guys pretty well. And the singer John is like the most like humble, um, and, and, you know, Hodges and Gula, I, I and and like all of them, all of them are super nice. But like the singer, it's so funny. You just you never would think of him in a hardcore band. <laughs> I mean, right. like a, a pseudo metal band, right? Because they're more leaning towards that than totally. straight hardcore well, yeah it is funny though like I, we mentioned you know works looks buried like it's like you knew the hardcore fest and these places have these three mm-hmm. or four year moments where yeah. this sort of bubbles up and there's these bands that cross over the other interesting thing and I know it happens in other time periods but this late 90s like I just felt like I might be going to go see Elliot, but our a hardcore band's opening and then a singer songwriter is totally. going to open or you know, a punk band is there too. And sure, I might have gone outside because I didn't want to see Brothers Keeper, or I came back inside for. Oh, poor Mike Steve. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm such sorry. A sweetheart, I know. Though, I know. I'm just. He's he like is. the nicest guy in the world. I know. I'm just joking. I'm just. I know. 
<laughs> so, so I, I don't like I don't like Brothers Keeper either, but I think he knows that. Yeah. So, but like you, you yes, I wasn't inside the whole time being stoked, but I there was this like intersection and I, I'd love to get your take on this like the booking like it wasn't these package tours that just seemed to like you know market to this fan it was no. just like well it just yeah. happens to be that Jimmy Eat World's around the same time as Sensefield as the same time as Mineral and they're gonna play totally. a few shows with Hot Water it, and it seemed like it was like intermixing and I, we haven't even mentioned the word of the podcast but that'll come later but just it just seemed like there was this just hodgepodge of like you get it. We're going to try to help each other. And it. Th- we don't know who else is, but why don't we work together? And yes, there was bullshit, like you said, but it seemed to be like everyone just wanted to share stuff with each other, no matter the sound. No, for sure. And, and that's like, I have, okay, you have to let me shut the stove off, and then I'm going to tell you my opinion on this. Hold on one second. Shut the stove I off. I have to shut it off because I just realized I'm making grape leaves. And, and if the grape leaves overcook... We're done. You know who else is upset? Who? Your the dog. Rel- your no, your your entire family history. They're all looking yeah. they're all looking down and being like, Eva a hundred percent. Yeah, no, for sure. This is like fierce fiercely upset. Um so what you were saying about um that kind of like salad of different, you know, tastes, it's it's one of my favorite things about the era we grew up in, it, it had a I don't know. I mean, I feel like you kind of lumped it up with the fact that it was a scene. Um, I feel like certain bands just kind of umbrellaed into it. Like, um, even when I worked for Pretty Girls Make Graves and the Blood Brothers, I still feel like because Pretty Girls Make Graves had Derek from Murder City Devil, and he comes from that scene, obviously. Right. You know, they were like two different type of bands, but they fell in the same genre somehow. So when I would see, um, you know, Hot Water... They're, they're aw- Hot Water was awesome about taking people out. I mean, they've taken AFI out, and they took Indecision out, and they, they've worked with Bad Religion. They worked with, um, they've supported, you know, Sick of It All. I'm talking about the earlier time period. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, but then they were like, you know, they always, they, they, they worked with Jimmy World and Elliot. They've done stuff with so many different style bands, and especially a band like Hot Water, which there's not that many bands that sounded like them. So right. They kind of had to make their own. Uh, um, I mean, later on came against me, which I feel like kind of families up in that same sound. But, you know, they kind of had to make their own uh, packaging make sense. And it, it, back then, everyone took out everyone. They just took bands they liked out. I mean, the Get Up Kids are a perfect example of a band that played with so many different sounds. Don't you think? Yeah, no. I mean, obviously the coalesce um, connection. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it just it it wasn't like a. I just there was this thing of like it's okay that there's a hardcore band. It's okay that there's a singer songwriter. It it didn't. I mean, Dashboard opening up for Sick of It All at Roseland, like yeah, by and himself. Then they took out, and then Dashboard turned around and took out Thrice. Right. When Thrice was more of a metal band, not the singing time period of Thrice. Which I thought gave what you said earlier about like just kind of like getting it or sort of like this. We just like these bands and we want everybody to check this stuff out. And then totally. I th- and I think there was this obviously change, you know, when I mean, I was yeah. at a label and they started asking me what I was listening to. And, right. and they were in, they were like, what do you listen to? Who's that band? And then it, oh, yeah. it just seemed to have this other taste to it. So it just that period like when you were booking did you did you sense like wait a minute there's more people getting into this or there's 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 a different feel to what's happening than just these bunch of bands I think I started seeing that I mean like it's funny just to take a a step back on different genres you know when when festivals like crazy festival was happening in kentucky have Mm -hmm. you ever been to that festival i never (laughs) went but i actually i actually talked to andy rich recently oh really yeah i found him like a professional poker player he runs a poker poker room in vegas good for him but hearing him talk actually this makes sense to bring up hearing him talk about how he runs the poker room he learned it all from putting on the fest. Oh, totally. I don't doubt that for a second. I mean, those skills, and especially because, to go back to what 
you know, we initially talked about the the development and the creation of Feta. It really was a leap of faith, you know, yeah. and I think that's what all of us did. And I think um, our scene had the aspiration to be different, but also to like get it done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're gonna we're gonna like like sought out and conquer whatever we're doing. And so you look at festivals in Louisville, Kentucky, that was created by one person and what it became. And, you know, Elliot was from, is from Louisville. Um, Kevin Ratterman now is in LA and, you know, he, his, he built his, so his entire studio, um, working with my morning jacket. And I still think he still does Jim James stuff, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, you know, that scene, it was so like tight knit, and it was a post hardcore scene. Like Elliot is like dreamy and synthy and and dreamy. <laughs> They're dreamy. Yes. Um, but I mean, out of all the other bands in in Louisville, it was like a post hardcore scene, um, and all this stuff was coming out of it. And I, it makes sense why they created Crazy Fest. But Andy did it with his own imagination. You know, like. He created it and made it work. Yeah, and that's the, it's like the, no one's going to fucking do it. I'm going to do it. And that's it's, right. it just, it, oh, the, you know, the other point was, Eva, and I feel like half the time I tell this to people, they think I'm crazy, but it's like, I just, you have to be in this certain era. It's mm -hmm. like, I know that people wanted to be successful. I know uh, yeah. that. Coheed and Jimmy and Hot Water and Elliot, of course, you know, they wanted to be huge. But yeah. it just came from this like approach of, and again, I'm at these shows. I'm at the, I was working at EVR or I was working, you know, I was dealing with these people on different levels that it was just like, yes, there was egos, but it just, it was like, we like this music. It wasn't, well, we got to sound like this. And mm -hmm. I loved that like unknown of walking into a room and not realizing I was about to go see karate and be yeah, obsessed totally. or, or hot water music. I remember the first time I saw them at Mac Rock and mm -hmm. I bought every single thing they had on the table. <laughs> that's great. So I just that that's the and it just seemed I guess if you want to respond to that of just like it was yes if everyone wanted to be successful and they wanted to be huge but it just mm -hmm. seemed like it 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 came from a of a unknown versus uh I'm going to make sure that I sound like this to be huge. Totally. I mean, you know, going back to when I lived in New Brunswick and the bands that slept on my floor, I never heard one person ever be like um we want to be the biggest band in the world. We're going to be huge. You know what I mean? Like I and I never heard bands say, um, you know, we're, we're only going to do this because we want to do that, like to gain, right? They just yeah. kind of always worked and they never stopped working. And there'd be conversations like, okay, well, we'd like to support maybe a bigger band, but it was never like this huge influence. Like we need to piggyback off this band and we need to be huge and the radio needs to like us and we need to have the catchy part of the chorus within the first 15 seconds of the song it was never it wasn't it wasn't like that and even when I worked for Jimmy World and the Clarity Record I just remember being around them and in meetings with their previous manager at the time their manager at the time I should say um and they were super humble about all of their work and um the music they were putting out and I just never heard anything come out of their mouth that, that had that, uh, direct message, I guess. Um, so I think that every, and even working for hot water, I mean, I worked for hot water, you know, half of my career and I never heard any of them say, you know, we want to be a radio band. They worked hard. That's what they did. They just worked. Everyone worked really hard and the idea was to keep growing um, but it wasn't ever with the, we need to get on the radio and we need to have this major label sign us and we need to be the biggest man in the world. You know what I mean? Um, maybe that was something that, um, they thought about, I don't know, but I never, ever got that impression working for people. Um, in that era, I always got the impression we are going to continue to work hard, even working for bands like Save the Day when I did, um, which became a very big band. Um, 
I never got the impression for them that they, the whole thing was to skip steps, get radio, become the biggest band in the world. They worked very hard. And the thing is, bands did work really hard back then. They did their own videos. They, 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 they communicated with their fans. They took a lot of time. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they worked their records in a different way. Um, they raised money when they needed it. So, yes, the labels helped, and the, so did the bands. So I think that when the time started changing, um, you know, changing its way, and people from bigger agencies were starting to pay attention to bands, and um, major labels were starting to look at bands, like you said, when you were at EVR, and like we'll use Coheed and Cambria as an example. A great example. I mean, that band, and you know, it's funny, because um, Nick Storch, who used to work at FEDA, he worked for them at mm-hmm. Veda, and I just couldn't wrap my head around it in this band. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't, they weren't my, you know, and I, I, I don't think that everyone, every band is for everyone, you know what I mean? But I just was trying to figure out where this band fit, and I couldn't figure it out. And they just, just ricocheted, they just got huge. And, I mean, I get it. Like, I hear them now, and I'm like, man, this band is so good. I wish I appreciated them so much earlier, like, earlier on. Did um, I ever tell you this? I don't know if I ever told you this. Dan remembers Dan Sanshaw, who I met mm-hmm. when I was in college. He was an intern at mm-hmm. Eric Records, and we ended up mm-hmm. uh, connecting and then working together years later. I remember him telling me a story where Lyman called him when Coheed was on Warp Tour and said, we have to move to him to a different stage. A stage. And he goes, he goes, he goes, what do you mean? What's wrong? Thinking there was something wrong. He's like, no, there's so many kids watching them. The stage yeah. is moving. We have to move yeah. them to the bigger stage. Holy you know other, shit. <laughs> yeah. You know what other band was like that, though? Under Oath. Yes. Under Oath. I mean, I remember being... At Warp Tour and May and Under Oath were like, you know, like kind of the same era time period on Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, May was on Tooth and Nail, so I guess you can kind of like compare them with the Christian relationship. Though May never kind of didn't really focus that on their career. Totally. You know, um, they never came out into their Christian band. Um, and I remember walking by this stage and seeing this band and I was like, holy crap. It was just, there were just so many people there. And I was like, it was like the smallest stage, but just slammed with like 2000 people in front of them. Like this band is going to be huge. That's so cool. And they were. They yeah, and yeah. I just, I think those moments where you had to walk by the warp tour stage or and i liked i it was funny i was actually this makes sense i was watching get up kids last night on a live stream mm-hmm. and i paid the 12 bucks i wanted to hear the show i wanted to see it and again i know that it's not the same but it just like it 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 just i wanted to i didn't feel it and mm-hmm. i think there is there's validity there's you can write about it all day you can read mm-hmm. all the books about it but I, st- I want to hear it from someone that was walking by and seeing Under Oath and watching 3,000 kids oh, lose their mind. Yeah. One of my, I mean, that's the thing. One of my favorite moments in, in my whole career is, is getting excited and watching a band on, you know, watching a band I really love playing. Like, you know, I mean, when I see the Bouncing Souls play, I get really excited, you know, when I used to, like, a ba- bands that I worked for, I mean, some of my favorite shows, um, you know, like the Blood Brothers energy was off mm-hmm. the chart, you know, watching them, it's just, you just wanted to move, and, you know, I'm kind of like a stand-in-one-place kind of gal, but <laughs> there's certain bands that would definitely make me move, and um, they were one of them. Their energy just would shoot right through your body, and you couldn't help but feel like, you know, getting excited. Or the, you know, Lifetime, you have to finger point. It just comes you with watching to. Lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a moral imperative. 25 they Cent Giraffe, I will be, you know, Avail was like that for me. I cannot, oh, yeah. I have to sing along. There's no... <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, like, it's funny because I've known I've known Dan Yeeman since college, my college years. Mm-hmm. He's older than me, obviously. And I lived with one of the members of uh, Dillinger Escape Plan and one of the members of Endeavor in college. 
Um, and so I got to meet Dan through the member of Endeavor because of that Jersey scene, Jersey yep. bands, and, you know, like, the only Jersey, like, you know, Jersey was a cool scene. I mean, they had Dead Guy, they had Lifetime, and it was just a good music era, especially New Brunswick area, excuse me. And um, when I met Dan, I I just would be, like, nerdy around him. I was like... You know, like, you're so much fun to watch play, you know. It's just, right. I just, he's such, they were such a fun band to watch. And there's so many bands, bands don't realize, I think, how much they um, imprint, even on industry people, like, just a big imprint on um, all of our memories, you know. And even, like, my, my husband, my husband's the singer of Hidden in Plainview, and they were invited to play uh, the Warped Tour Atlantic City show last not this past summer, the summer before mm-hmm. the, what was it? 30 year, the final one anyways. Um, and there was like 5,000 people in front of the stage and they were all singing along. And, you know, I liked some drive through bands. I liked more Vega bands than drive through bands, but hidden in plain view is one of those bands. I really, really, really loved. And in a, a non-biased way, obviously being got my husband's in the band. Um, but watching all of those people, singing and moving and dancing. I'm just like, this is what it's that whole era is about. Yeah. It's, it's there. It's, it's the, that connection between everybody and what, what was weird is, you know, that is that, that change, you know, when that a word or I remember the, the, the armor for sleep, Elliot or armor for sleep Chiodo's tour. And I remember that armor for sleep was the bigger band and I remember we were done and Chiodo's kids were leaving after they played and no one right. stayed for armor. And I was like, oh, man, things are changing. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I mean, the word. <laughs> the word emo, it's, you can say it. The word emo. It's it's always like a a funny conflict for me because, you know, people started really paying attention um, you know, the promise ring really moved heads in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also moved heads not only on the indie level. I mean, J-Tree was doing things that was were brinking out of that scene a little bit, but not on purpose. It's just people started paying attention at spin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they hated that word. <laughs> like, but that's the era... Oh, I don't know if the promise ring hated that word, but I know there were no, bands they did. that yeah, actually yeah, hated no. that word. I remember that was like, like everyone, that was a really big stigma. Like no one wanted to be called an emo band. Um, yet that was kind of that whole window, the J. Junes, the promise ring, the Captain Jazz. The, mineral. The mineral. Well, yeah. And like the mineral, re, like the mineral, I feel like is like you know, not so, um, like pitchforky kind of vibe, you know, J tree, like they had that more like May singy kind of vibe to them where like J June and like the promise ring, I feel, and, and, you know, like the Christy front drives, they had more of like an indie underground vibe about them. Totally. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like, that name emo is is now in the wrong decade of music and it and it was just chosen by I don't know whom but like my chemical romance is not an emo band and even though the emo bands that are true emo bands never wanted to be called emo bands that's the era it was so when i hear that word being thrown around with other bands um that I'm always like a big question mark about. <laughs> I'm like, why would that band be called emo? That makes no sense. That's not an emo band. Yeah, I remember the the coined words at that period. Like the, I, I want to, I can't say the, I don't want to say it's the same time as the Get Up Kids. Uh, but maybe it was. But like post hardcore melodic. Yeah. I feel like were the words thrown around. And then I feel like when people started coining things as emo. The emo band said, we're an indie band. And that's where the birth of indie indie rock came from, because they didn't like the word. And this is like my my take on it. So mm-hmm. uh, if someone wants to prove that or express that 
I'm, I might be wrong. On Here's that. the best part about me. this podcast. <laughs> but, it's just you. So they, they yeah. might be yelling into their speaker or their headphones right now, but they can't respond. Right. That's funny. But they can Google me. So then they can email me. But that's okay. Because, you know, I feel like I have like, I mean, I grew up in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Do you know the backlash I got from just like people in my hometown <laughs> starting Theta? Like back, I, I, I can handle backlash. I mean, you know, there's, there's, I've gotten more support than backlash, but people can have their, I have this thought that, you know, people just like to have an opinion and I'm okay hearing it. But it's funny because I just feel like, there are also facts that override opinions. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the drive through bans were not emo bans. And that's, that's the truth behind it. That's not the era. That's, that's a different era. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's a, okay. It's totally, it's totally okay. okay. It's just when I see things um, pop up, I can't remember what this was in, whether it was alternative press when I used to get the magazine, I can't remember which publication it came out, but it was a kid with like, you know, like flat ironed hair and, and combed down and eyeliner. And they, and, and it was coined the, the, the emo kid. And it gave like bullet points and what, like, like, you know, like they were sad and suicidal. And I was like, what the hell am I reading? <laughs> Right. Like, I never thought emo uh, was sad. No. I mean, I, I mean, when I think of an emo kid from that era, I think of a kid wearing like a little bit oversized cargo pants with a cardigan sweater and a backpack. That's what I think of an emo kid. Right. <laughs> but what's crazy, I think, and why I think it makes sense to hear your feedback is like, it was so nuts, like being an EVR and like working these bands and it was just yeah. like Warp Tour was crazy. I was actually just talking to Anthony Green about, you know, we made like thousands He's of like hand fans, you know, yeah. and it was like we were like, that was so weird to do this. Like we was almost like we were weirded out about the marketing and it was like we kind of had to do it. There was like the pure volumes and things you had to just like, mm -hmm. you know, count the positive messages on absolute punk to make sure that you were still cool. And, yeah. and it, it was interesting. And I think I want to know your take on that time period of the word sort of getting taken and the bands that were sort of left behind. Almost forgotten because of it. Yeah. I just think that, you know, um, I, I would love to talk and know how a band feels about this, this, that name, because I just remember, in, you know, in that period, people not liking that name as much as liking it. So I'm not sure if they're really, if people are super, um, I think that they didn't feel left out as much as they felt like, um, we don't want to be associated right. with if that I was, anyways, I guess. No maybe? one wanted to be on the podcast when I first started it. There's people yeah, that I, they didn't I want bet. to be on it. They're like, I don't want to, what are you talking about? I'm not going to talk about that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even, I don't, you know, and it's crazy. Um, actually one I joke about cause I text with Brett from the Juliana theory a lot and I joked with him mm -hmm. about it. I'm like, you know how many years you told me no. And he finally I was bet. like, all right, I want to talk. And, and that's the thing, like the Juliana Theory, that's one band that I would never have coined emo because of what years they were banned. Not so right. much, I mean, I, I get it, but in my opinion, they weren't like in, th that period felt done to me by the time that band was a band. Does that make sense? Totally. So that's what people, so the one thing I get from people, and I joke that the Is This Band Emo site is run by the Emo Council. It's just me and uh -huh. some friends. But they ask, it. they're like, can you please give us criteria to how you judge? And I was like, no, because it involves timing, who you yeah. toured with, label, right. if you're cool. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, I just think there's this, like, I don't care if someone like gets successful. Jimmy World and Saves a Day and Coheed are successful, but you could talk mm -hmm. to Claudio, Jim, and Chris mm -hmm. about bands and scene and like moving up. Even Con mm -hmm. I just had Connor Oberst on, and he oh, was he's a sweetheart and, too. And we were just talking about like yeah. he could see a sixteen-year-old kid on stage and be like, "Hey, I want to help you like learn and these types of things." It just seemed like 
kind of like the music industry where it was one it was just like everyone's for themselves and this seems mm-hmm. like there was a group mentality and it turned into individual i'm gonna go book all these bands and buy a plane and be really successful it just and i'm okay for that but it it lost mm-hmm. for me the luster did you feel that oh, yeah it, it definitely did i mean at that time period i feel like we all knew each other. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Mike Dubin had his own button that just said, I'm with Mike Dubin. Right. I mean, like, right. it's like, he didn't listen in the band, you know? I mean, everyone knew each other. Everyone really had like, you know, there were some people that didn't care for each other, but that's just being human. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, you can't, you can't win them all, you know? Um, but for the most part, you were there, you weren't. You know what I mean? Like, that's really what it comes down to. You were there, you weren't, and if you weren't there, you'll never really understand what it really was because it doesn't exist anymore, and bands do not help each other the way that they did back then. Um, And the overall um, ability to grow is just different than it was back then because even though bands didn't all become radio bands like Coheed or Saves a Day or dashboard but they can get pretty damn big you know what i mean and right. have like dedicated fans all over the world and 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 the world like people in germany following these bands based on zines you know yeah. like it's uh being you know like i remember hot water we we sent them to japan we sent them to wow. europe it was always like and that's that's just like a, a, a that's what we did and it was all word of mouth really based on what they were reading and yeah like you know it's like we had things on the internet but it wasn't the same way and no. even when we were booking tours um it was really hard to book tours because it was expensive to call people we didn't all have the internet if we did it was slow as molasses um and you can only do certain things on it for a certain amount of time and uh you had to use dialers or beepers to talk to people and you just it was exciting because you did it you got it done and you got to hang out with these people and everyone liked each other like i loved hanging out every time i went to la john bunch and chris um Robinson from Sunfield would take me out every time. And That's I loved awesome. it. I, it was like just go and have some drinks, talk about God knows what. And then they would drop me back off at Kevin who worked at Vagrants and I would sleep at his house. And Darren worked at Hopeless and Kevin worked at Vagrant. They lived together, they were roommates. And uh, the Get Up Kids lived with Kevin. <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know how long it took them to make that record. I feel like it was like a month, but it might have been longer. But they lived in in like in that house because they were recording with Vagrant. I, you know, the label was Vagrant, and Kevin worked there. And so I would be in LA for work, and I would also sleep at Kevin's, and it would just be fun hangout times. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it would never be stressful. I don't even think we've ever talked. We never talked about work, like. So what bands are you working on these days? Like nothing like, you know, weighing whose success is better at this time. It was just like a bunch of people that had common interest hanging out. That t- that moment, I think, like you said, is lost. I, I just we're not going to get mm-hmm. back to that. There's too much yeah. of, well, let me check Eva's social status and let me see right. what her latest photos are. And, what totally. you know, she was just in Greece and ooh, fancy. Mm-hmm. no. Hey Eva, I haven't seen you in six months. Let's talk for six mm-hmm. hours, you know, yeah. or let's let's let, let's let's go out to eat. And and I know that the internet is great, and there's many things I love about it. But I there's that this era of music and this era of the internet was this sort of last moment of like it felt like you had a second to yourself to think. I I talk about listening to the last track of an album. When's the last time I thought about that? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, me either. And, uh, and it's, I, you know, I have all my CDs still on vinyl. Um, I, you know, the CDs, I was kind of like, do I get rid of them? Do I keep them? But I'm afraid as time goes by that I might forget about these really great bands that I really, really loved, you know, and then or they're I not online find... anymore. Right. Like well, Spotify could just to... go away tomorrow. 
Exactly. And that's what I was saying about, um, like, for example, that band uh, Leftovers from Dane, Ohio. I love that first record they put out. I used to listen to that record all the time. And the other day, I was like, you know what? I want to listen to that record. It's not on the internet. It's not even on YouTube where you can, wow. you know, someone will upload it. You know how people do that? They upload totally. it to YouTube. And yep. I couldn't find anything. And I'm sitting there going, this is why I keep my CDs because I don't have a CD player. I know I could buy one at any time and connect it to whatever technology I'm using. Right. But um, at least I have it or I can go downstairs and look at my list and be like, oh, yeah, that band. Oh, yeah, that band was awesome. You know what I mean? And maybe they are on the Internet. And then I could find it and rekindle that that whole emotion behind it. And that's the thing. Like, I, I think with going to shows, anyone going to shows, you have like a, a really – especially if you went to, to – to your local shows and your local bands that even stemmed out to national bands where you're supporting that independent music scene, you all have a story about meeting someone in a band that really touched you um, and made you feel like a part of what they were doing, which is awesome, you know. And But on, the, on my side of things, because I, I get to work in music, um, I have all these experiences that I can never make up. Um, even if I wanted to, some are not great. Some are amazing, but they're all my experience by working and going to this independent scene and developing my whole career around it. And, uh, I, I, sometimes I think, you know, when I get frustrated with working in music or, you know, like the changes, I have to keep up with things or I'll work with a band and, and they'll literally, have no work ethic whatsoever and I'll get frustrated. But then I, I go back and I say, I would never want to be or have done anything else because of just all of these awesome experiences I had and connections I had with people in this, in this, uh, this scene, like you and Chris, you know, for example. Um, last time I saw Chris, it was just like an exciting Caraba. It was just exciting to see each other across the the firefly lawn you know what i mean yeah where it's like you know just big hugs chit chat for a little bit and it just felt good seeing him and that's a feeling that um is such a scene feeling because you would get that when you go to a show and you'd you could go to a show by yourself i went to shows by myself all the time i mean i still do but I didn't ever feel the need that I had to go to shows with anyone else because... You're going to see people. I, I knew everyone there. Right. I remember being on Warp Tour, and I stayed on Warp Tour for three weeks because um, I was on Kevin Lyman's bus, and he was like, you're just going to stick around, and you know, you need a runner to get you to the airport nine times out of ten, wherever you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. Right. And I would watch AFI the whole tour. Like I would get so excited, like run to watch AFI play, like just like a kid, you know? feel like there's just so many different scenarios when it comes to bands. Saves a day. I used to love watching that band play, too. They're so much fun. What bands are your favorite bands that are not emo bands? Like, I mean, Saves a Day is a funny band, right? Because Lifetime is an influence right. of theirs, and you can hear it in them. Yeah, Can't Slow Lifetime? Down is Lifetime. Lifetime. Totally. And it's Lifetime I always considered more like a post-hardcore band. Yes, I got so, into post hardcore. Like I love quicksand. Like I obviously I liked the hardcore. I was a straight edge kid, so Snapcase. And then I was like, "What's quicksand?" You know. And then you find out about all that shit. And then I got. And then I was like, "Wait a minute, you can be even more, you know, more introspective." I'm gonna go listen to Chamberlain. You know. <laughs> Let me yeah, go. Yeah, like, I still uh, work for I still work for Chamberlain. So oh, it's cool. like super. Yeah. I love that. But but then like, I mean post like you said um. Uh, who was it? You just mentioned, you said quicksand. Oh, Snapcase. Yeah. I love Snapcase. Snapcase is amazing. And at the time, they were super like, I feel like for a hardcore band, I hate using the word cutting edge because that just seems, sounds like cheesy, but they were they, they were doing things that other hardcore bands were just not doing, and they sounded really right, just like new, mathy, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Another thing about growing up in that era, if you weren't straight edge, it was kind of like a weird thing. Like totally. I was never straight edge, <laughs> but I hung out with straight edge. I mean, I hung out with the Turmoil guys. Um, you know, like I, 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 it's just the people I associated my, my associated myself with from Wilkes-Barre area and Allentown and Jim Thorpe and all that, 
you know, they were pretty much straight edge. So right. I remember going to Syracuse and meeting Earth Crisis with Turmoil, who they did a whole U.S. tour with and European tour with. And they were so nice, but their fans weren't. <laughs> their fans were mean. I mean, they were, they were like, like, you know, edge or die type of thing. Right. And that, that was a, a very interesting movement, to say the least. Yeah, it I was think. pretty weird. I definitely X'd up for a while. I definitely had windbreakers. Um, I'm the still windbreakers? St- oh, yeah. And I, 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 I'm still straight edge, but, like, obviously not, you know, Xing up. Um, but, yeah, it was that sort of... Uh, that world, but those worlds sort of like you could see Earth Crisis and Raina Maria at the same show. A hundred percent. Totally. Totally. And, I, you know, to be fair, like I said, I have so many friends that were straight edge. And, and you know, I mean, I lived with Brian Benoit from Dillinger's Escape Plan. I mean, they were, you know, he, he was straight edge. And I, they were all straight edge. I always had straight edge roommates. Um, but um, you, you, it was a weird scene, but you could see that there was a crossover. I think the festivals really help with that too, though. You're right because like there were back. the distros, and everyone yes. was sort of like it was. It was like you know a. Uh, it was like a. I mean, I'm bad reference, but like a pandemic. I mean, everyone was there, and then totally. everyone took something home from somebody else. So, what's your favorite DC band? My favorite DC band, probably Battery. Oh, battery. Yeah, probably hey. battery. Uh just because right. I love, you know, Jason <laughs> and Squire also in bad no, so that was Jason and Brian. And Brian. Yeah. Not, but Matt Squire wasn't, right? I he don't was, think so. He was in Ashes with Brian, I know. That was Ashes, yeah. yeah. I actually yeah. interviewed Brian recently. I'm gonna have his episode up. Um great. you know who I yelled straight edge to? Um who? AFI was opening for offspring. It was like 97 uh-huh. and I was just like so pumped to see AFI. Like I just was like, yes. I love, and I, I love them. And I fucking yelled straight edge as loud as I could at this quiet moment. And Davey <laughs> looks at me, throws up X's and then like, you know, that was it. And I was just like, mm-hmm. yes. Like, I can die happy now. <laughs> Davey threw X's up to me. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're by far this this that band is so sick. I remember when they started like really having like the the, the very well earned attention they should have had years even prior yes. to getting it. That was I was on Warp Tour and Davey walked into the crowd, but walked, but they put their hands up for him, and they made uh, like a runway wow. of hands, and he walked. And balanced. Oh, that's so <laughs> badass! And it looked like, like you know, like 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 there was like a light shining on him from above type of thing. It was like this moment of like, holy shit! <laughs> and it was just, I remember being on the stage, just thinking, wow, that is so cool. Um, and they've always been the nicest band. Like I, I, I always said, you know, Davy, to me, always was so nice that it almost just. It was hard to believe because he was he's seriously one of the nicest people I've ever met, ever. Oh, that's cool. I actually was doing some promo for my book, Anthology of Emo, Volume 2, and mm-hmm. I was on Sirius with Lindsay, and it was supposed to be... Davy doing it with her that day and he had to mm-hmm. he, he had to not he, he ended up not being able to do it so it was somebody else but I was so bummed because I wanted to tell him the story I, that moment. To, I was like, like by I, the way I threw up X's to you X's. in like North Carolina in 97 just a heads up straight edge kid that was in the my, house. me screaming me <laughs> Straight edge, kid, straight edge Kid has an emo podcast now. So, um, I love it. I what love about it. my favorite band, though, for is and I, the band they actually know it as well. Um, is Jimmy Eat World? Um, any any stuff from yeah. Clarity? Oh, god, I love that album. I, I really, um, I feel really lucky to have worked for them when I did. I learned so much, um, during that time, and, and that's something I would always recommend to my students and anyone that's listening to any of my interviews or reads them, you know, work for bands, um, take a chance and work for bands because even if you, um, you know, even if you're not ready for it, you'll learn so much doing it. And that band, I, I wasn't ready because I never worked for a band on Capitol records. And I was, a, you know, in my late teens and early twenties and I was 
dealing with a manager who at the time also was, uh, you know, like dealing with people like his wife also dealt with Madonna, you know? So it was like a big, for me, um, it was, it was a time where I really wanted to learn everything and do it right. Right. And they were so sweet the whole time. Um, they, I mean, I really, really enjoyed seeing them when I would have to go out for work and, and all their shows just were amazing. I mean, watching clarity, watching that every time I had to go to one of their shows or every time I wanted to go to one of their shows in LA or Pomona, um, it was just like the best show. And when the Clarity reunion tour happened and they, we, my husband loves them too, like all their records and, uh, he bought the Clarity record and he, he turned it over and I was listed and he was like, he, what? My wife's on the Clarity record. That's so I'm awesome. Vinyl. I'm like, <laughs> like you can die happy now, honey. <laughs> I know. I but, love that. And I ran into them, and I, I said hi to them. But then I ended up talking to Rick for a while, and it was just it was just nice to catch up with them. And it didn't feel like awkward because I don't talk to them on the phone. I only talk to them when I see them. And it, it just you know, I it just made me remember and think like, wow, you know, these guys are always the nicest guys. You know what I mean? At the time when I worked for Jimmy World, I was so green. And my confidence was more dancing around what other people uh, wanted to hear from me because I was trying to morph into this uh, successful, well-grounded agent. But I was like 19, 20, 21. And, you know, it was a lot of um, lesson learning at that time. So by the time make him round, I was just basically firm with him and I'm like look I'm not going to deal with any bullshit though like you're either going to you know follow my lead on this on the agent side and we'll work together on the scaffolding um, but um, none of this crap you pulled early on with me <laughs> wow see but that's that's so amazing to hear because you're you're always told like you know step down to your elders and listen to what you're told yeah. and, and for you to put your foot down and say no this is how this is going and I think the respect that you get back when you back that up, if that yeah. makes sense, says a lot. Well, I think you you, you have to really. I, I, this is a, a, a like there are moments in my career where I could I could hone in on experiences where I'm like, why did I let that person talk to me that way? Um, and some of them were females to me, so it's not like a male female thing. It was like right. a, a total like individuals that worked in the industry. And I was like, how can I let that person like make these comments and actually me believe it in myself and, and let them get away with that? Like as if they feel um, accomplished, but through those moments, I've learned that it's not necessary for me to put them in their place, but it's also because if it phases me, then I'm failing myself, you know, but it is at the moment, if I'm catching what's happening and someone speaks inappropriately to me, um, what would be defined as inappropriate to anyone, not me because I'm an agent or me because I'm a woman, but to anyone, right. then I will step in and I will shut that down. And that's, that was something I had to learn. And I, I'm actually really grateful from the scene that we came from because I don't think I... I was like that in high school so much. I think that I, not that I, I chased what other people wanted for me so much, but I don't think that I, if I ever had someone speak to me in a way which would be not considered cool, I probably would have been like, Oh, I'm not going to say anything. You know, um, I definitely learned to have a voice working in music, but I learned to have a voice from the scene I came from too. I think one of my biggest regrets of, of the the scene, uh, let's say when I worked with bands through it and I stopped working for them, I, I think I regret the most being um, younger and taking it personal because um, some of these relationships, like, you know, are are, are just so warm and, and irreplaceable. I mean, I worked for Hot Water for nine, ten years, and, you know... There was a shift before they broke up, and it happened only six months before they broke up, but I was let go, and I was really 
hurt by it. And um, I mean, it, it makes sense because it's a very personal scene. But and Chuck and I are, are still really good friends. But I like. I miss the interactions I have with people like Jason Black because Jason's funny, you know, and it makes the memories hard to relive. Not now, but at, at a time. It doesn't now. I mean, I think of everything very warm and bubbly now. Um, but I think the one thing I, I would have changed younger was just being able to be a little bit more uh, resilient towards the changing of things as they changed. Um, because I changed too, you know. I love that. That's great. Eva, I'm not going to take more time. You've got you've got grape leaves to look at. You've got kids. I have the kids actually making... Oh, I hear someone crying. All right. It is awesome talking to you. I'm going to go care to a seven-year-old crying now. <laughs> thank you, Eva, for the time. I was so Thank rad to talk you. to you. Um, Yay. Thank you again. Thank you, Tom.